everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today's the Day Changemakers podcast. I'm Jody Grinwald. This week, my guest is Holly Powell. Holly is an Emmy Award-winning casting director of 25 years and recipient of the Casting Society of America's Ardios Award. Listen in to hear about some of the TV shows and movies she has casted for. She traveled across the country teaching her audition workshop through Holly Powell Studios, and her best-selling book, The Audition Bible, Secrets Every Actor Needs to Know, is required reading in several colleges, universities, and drama schools. During the 2020 pandemic, Holly authored and co-edited Mavis's Kitchen, A Southern Cooking Lifestyle, a love letter to her mother, Mavis. This book is part cookbook, part memoir, and part history. Now in what she calls her third act, she is honored to be co-founder and board member of Beyond Ranch Foundation and serve on the She Angels Foundation board as vice president. As she says, she continues to search for ways to improve the lives of fellow humans on our shared planet. Listen in to hear her incredible story. Please subscribe to the Today's the Day Changemakers YouTube channel. Download the podcast from most streaming sites. Don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Today is the Day Live It. Also, to learn more about Today is the Day's overall programming, international annual forum, the upcoming Changemakers Connective, business coaching and consulting, go to todayistheday.liveit.com. The views expressed by all Today's the Day Changemakers podcast guests are their own. Their appearance on the Today's the Day Changemakers podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity that they represent. Thank you and have a fabulous week, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today's the Day Changemakers podcast. I am Jody Grinwald, and as I say every week, I have the honor of inter- interviewing the most incredible changemakers from around the globe. And today I have Holly Powell with me. Hi, Holly. Hi, Jody. How are you today? How's I'm it going? I'm feeling really good in California, sunny California. Yes, it's so it's I love Zoom for this reason. We're we're on two different coasts. I can we can zoom in from anywhere. So I'm so glad you're here. I know. Lots of advantages came out of that uh, you know, coronavirus lockdown. <laughs> Absolutely. And this and this is definitely one of them. And, and the podcast was born from that as well. So I'm going to get started by reading your incredible bio. I had to figure out what parts I was going to read so I didn't read the whole thing so we could have a conversation. So I'm going to get started with that, and then we're going to go into uh, learning more about you, okay? Okay. Holly Powell is an Emmy Award-winning casting director of 25 years and recipient of the Casting Society of America's Ardios. Is that correct? Ardios. Did I say that right? You're good, yeah. Ardios. Yay, award. She traveled across the country teaching her audition workshops through Holly Powell Studios and her best-selling book, which I have right behind me over here, The Audition Bible, Secrets Every Actor Needs to Know, is required reading in several colleges, universities, and drama schools. To learn more about Holly, I want to say this up front, go to hollypowellstudios.com, but there's more. During the 2020 coronavirus pandemic, Holly authored, co-edited Mavis's Kitchen, a Southern cooking style, love a Southern cooking lifestyle, a love letter to her mother, Mavis. And I have the book right here. Holly is thrilled to be sharing her mother's cookbook with the next generation. And you can find that at mavis-kitchen.com. Now she is in her third act, she says, and is honored to be the co-founder and board member of Beyond Ranch Foundation, whose mission is to build low-cost, inclusive communities across the world from, for adults living with severe autism to ensure they live a life 
filled with friends, family, dignity, and purpose. And also, Holly is, proudly serves on the She Angels Foundation Board as Vice President, Chair of the Grant Committee, and a founding member. She continues to search for ways to improve the lives of fellow humans on our shared planet. I love that so much. That was so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I'm in my third act. It's kind of wonderful. <laughs> it, honestly, isn't it a kind of freeing that third act? It's very, very freeing. You know, it's uh, I, 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 I listen to that bio and I go, wow, OK, I really did do all of that. And that's wonderful. But it's so fascinating that I have this new journey of um, helping other people in a different way you know, not just actors. <laughs> so it's really, it's, I feel pretty inspired by it. I'm inspired by it. And I, I, I absolutely love reading other people's bios because I always, whenever I do so, I always say, how did it feel? And everybody kind of has that feeling of like, that's me. That's wow. Me. I didn't realize. <laughs> no. it, it's so true. But let's go back to your first act. Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about that and get and have people learn a little bit more about you and where you came from and, and what brought you to where you are today. So tell us a little bit about young Holly. Where did you grow up? Um, I was born in Monroe, Louisiana. And uh, when I was six years old, we moved to Orange, Texas, which is east, east Texas, right in the Louisiana border. Um, and uh, so I grew up there um, and uh uh, and then went to college in uh, Austin at the University of Texas. So I was a Texan. You were absolutely. I still am a Texan. <laughs> um, but what, what did you want to be when you grew up as you were going through school? Was there something that just came into your mind that was outside of what you wound up doing or no? It was well, always this. You know, it really was because my father, um, even though he was a, a Texas businessman, he and my godfather uh, were very interested in show business. They, um, he would direct all the little theater uh, musicals and things like that, but they got very interested in the early 60s in investing in a Broadway show. And so they you know, went to New York, they called Price Waterhouse and said, how do we invest in a Broadway show? And they were in this little dark room with Charles Strauss playing the piano and it was Bye Bye Birdie. And so that was their first, you know, success hysterically. And uh, they, they were the ones who actually got Bye Bye Birdie made. They were the, the final, you know, financiers to get it made. So anyway, it was kind of a crazy story. So I literally grew up with, you know, musicals and, you know, my dad being a Texan, you know, in, in business, but also he, he loved that. So I was going to New York at a very young age seeing lots of Broadway shows. And yeah, it, my older sister uh, wanted to be an actress and she had moved to New York. She's six years older. So it was just always kind of like, that's what I'm gonna do. You know, initially it was like, I wanna be an actress. And I did major in uh, college. I was in the drama department at University of Texas and majored in acting. Wow, that, that's, that's what a great story. And getting I to- just, I fell into it literally grew up with it. Right. So if your father never would have invested, right, what, what would you, you know, probably yeah, never thought you know, of what you would have been. It's interesting. Of course, they, they did a few other things that weren't, you know, were failures, but they also had a lot of other, you know, interesting kind of shows that, you know, so I don't, you know, who knows what I would have done? I don't know. 
but that that's a great that that's just a really great story. Is there a pivotal moment in your childhood that you can remember that has has helped you through other things you may have been through in life? You know, um, I think that as I was the youngest, uh, three 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 daughters, three sisters, and because I was very close to my older sister, and she's six years older, and then we have a a, a middle sister, Nancy. And um, it was when they started leaving for college. And when my sister Janice was in college and um, our house burned down to make a long story short. And that house, my sister Nancy was having a party, uh, a slumber party, and then the boys were over for a while. They were dancing, Every, everybody was in the house. We had a house full of people. Anyway, the, the chimney was, you know, caught on fire with the pine needles. And we had 20 people and the house burned, not to the ground, but we lost pretty much everything. And that was the first of actually two homes that that I, I we've lost. So, but I was in, I was in eighth grade and that was really at that pivotal point for me. My sister had gone to, to college and uh, the house had burned down. And it was like that moment of, gosh, you know, things change, life changes. It was kind of my first time that it ever happened with that, you know, just being home and secure and family and fun and friends. And it was just that kind of moment of, wow, okay, this is life. Yeah. And the, and at that age, right, material, I mean, there are people that material things are important all our lives, right? And if, if it wasn't, uh, you know, burned or it was a lot of smoke damage and a lot of water damage. So I lost everything. I didn't have any clothes. So sorry. <laughs> well, that, that is that is so, so hard and so difficult. And that's such uh, an age in which you're you're just still learning and going through so well, much. And all I was the on the time. cusp of, you know, that, you know, growing into, you know, young to teens to, to, to mm-hmm. high school on my way to high school. So it was just like, wow, the world turned upside down. So interesting. Yeah. I think these are lessons and we never know why they happen. And sometimes we are like, you know, you, it's hard to find the good in things that are, are seem so, so bad. But on the other side of it, the, the lesson and the learning is, is incredible and yeah. brings flex. I would assume and that assumptions are terrible, but assume that that kind of lesson also taught you a little bit about being flexible and. Oh gosh. I remember my sister, Nancy and I went out the next day cause she didn't have her room burned and it collapsed. You know, she was up, her room is upstairs and my sister Janice's room was upstairs. And we were like, wow, we get to go shopping. Okay. Let's go shopping. That was all we did. <laughs> we got you know, <laughs> what I want to share there, which is so important, and for the listeners too, is it, it life is truly about perspective. And your perspective on that could have been the opposite, but instead it was told to go shopping. The other thing that my dad did, which was pretty hysterical, um, is that uh, once we got it back, built back, he, we built the house back exactly the same. There were no changes. And um, so dad talks about the insurance money coming in and we had a little leftover. So he took us all on a cruise um, to the Caribbean. And my sister Janice came back from college. It was the summer. And so we had, we, you know, cruised the Caribbean and had to wear long dresses every night. And, you know, for dinner, when you're, when you're um, at, you know, at sea, you wear the long. And so it was just, we were like, okay, 
this is the upside of getting your house burned down. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to have, you know, it's, it's so important <laughs> to find that positivity in the things that aren't always so positive. Yeah. And, and I, I totally get that. Um, going back though, to what we were talking about, about career and path, you said acting and you went for, um, you know, performing or, um, it was performing, right? Was it in, in college? Uh-huh. But then you went to ca- casting directing. So can you tell us how that journey turned flipped? Yes. I uh, went to uh, New York right out of college. And uh, a few of my classmates who were a year or two ahead of me had, were already in New York. And um, we started, one of them started a theater company. And he gathered all of us together. Uh, all of the people from the University of Texas Drama Department. And, and we, he was like, okay, but everybody has to take a job to get this done. I know you all want to be actors, but you have to you know, do something else. And somebody was going to do sets and somebody was going to do whatever. And I was like, well, I'll get the cast together. <laughs> That's how it started. Literally. And I was, I was acting in several of their plays, you know, but I started really going, huh? this is interesting. So I would cast the company members for the shows that we did. It was just the company and they would come in an audition and I was making it up as I went. I didn't have any training doing it. I was just, you know, had been on the other side of auditions. And so I just had figured it out and it was kind of interesting. And I, um, I met a young uh, actor at, at that place and I married him. Uh, we're not married anymore. That was a long time ago, but his mother um, is a Tony Award winning actress still in New York. Her name is Frances Sternhagen. And uh, Frances, I was saying to her, I, you know, I kind of think I'd like to get into casting because I, you know, I kind of like knowing when I'm going to work. You know, this acting thing is great, but I really kind of, you know, like this other side. And she said, well, I'm doing a, a play um, at the Manhattan Punchline, and they've never had a casting director. Let me call them and see. And they were an off-Broadway off theater company. And so they hired me as their first casting director and paid me $50 a show. No, no, $25 a show. It, but I cast a whole season for them, and I really got my sea legs. I made it up as I went. And I you put the breakdown out and I, you know, made friends with the agents, you know, and that's how it started. And I, 25 years later, I was still doing it. Isn't that amazing? They have that phrase, fake it till you make it. And then, uh, and then things I just happen and come your way all the time. And I talk about it in my book as well. Fake it till you make it is so important. My sister, Nancy says, uh, when asked, how did Holly get started? She said she had business cards made. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's kind of bad. So it, it's probably pretty hard to do that these days, um, you know, but that's how I did it. Let's talk a little bit about your career as a casting director. You've casted for some incredible shows. And can you share a little bit? I mean, obviously you didn't start there. You worked your way there. And I want to make sure that those listening don't think that you start at, yeah. you know, and you just get thrown into that. We'll talk about some advice that you may give some of the budding, uh, you know, directors and actors in, in a minute. But first, I want to just, you know, give the listeners some information about uh, some of the shows that you did cast for. So um, when I, um, at some point after, when I was doing the uh, the Manhattan Punchline, um, another casting director 
uh, told people about me. And so what happened is a lot of the LA casting directors would come to New York for two days or a week or whatever. And I became, you know, the it girl, the it casting director. Um, really at that point, I, I was a casting director, but it was their project. And I would bring in people from New York, set up sessions for them while they were in town or while the director was in town for like two days. I, I did, you know, movies of the week back in the day when we were really doing movies of the week and miniseries, mm -hmm. I, uh, pilots, um, you know, and feature films. So it was like just a combination. And I really got known at that point. And one of the casting directors I met, um, uh, she hired me to help her cast uh, about last night uh, with Demi Moore and Rob Lowe. And um, she got sick and she was dying of lung cancer. And so she wanted me to be there if something happened to her. And she got very, very ill during the, um, during all the, all of the, the, the sessions. And so I, I had to, to run them with Ed Zwick, who was a young uh, director at that time. And it was really, that is how, that was the magic moment that when CBS uh, decided that they needed to hire someone in New York to head up their casting office, Gail, who was dying, said, you should hire Holly Pell. And um, Jean Guest, uh, who's Christopher Guest's mother, was head of casting at the time and she at CBS and she flew in to meet me. And I thought it was an interview. And I was, you know, all dressed up for success in my noodle incline blazer and everything. And um, she said, so I have uh, assistance out in the lobby to meet you. And, you know, let us know who you want to hire. And I went, I'm hired. So it was just, it really did, you know, I, I say that, but it was kind of magical that way. And then a year later, they transferred me to Los Angeles to head up the movie miniseries department there. And so while I was there, uh, my big project was Lonesome Dove, which was wonderful, that miniseries with Tommy Lee Jones and um, Robert Duvall. So um, with my partner, Randy Stone, uh, we won an Emmy for um, the incident with Walter Matthau. And it was only the second Emmy ever given to casting directors. And, um, and then I was hired by Greenblatt Janelari, Bob Greenblatt and, and David Janelari to be senior VP of casting for their studio, Greenblatt Janelari studio. And we had uh, five series on the air our first year. And one of them was Six Feet Under with Alan Ball. And so that was just wonderful to work with Alan. He had just won the Oscar for um, American Beauty. And he, and that was just a wonderful show to work on. And, um, and then I went back and, you know, at some point into casting and cast things like Twilight Zone and 4400. And so a lot of stuff. Yeah, incredible stuff. And it sounds like you have worked with incredible people, you know, that are super talented. Yeah. And so now are you doing any, any more casting directing for you in, in the future or present? No, no. Um, it got to a point where I, um, I was tired. <laughs> the truth is, yeah. I was, and I had a young son and, um, you know, it was just like, and I really, this is the other segue. I, when I was sitting in those rooms at the studio and the network and watching actors walk into the room, I really started, of course, noticing the actors who would come in with confidence 
and prepared and really owned the room. And the actors who walked in and you could tell they were so nervous and they were looking down at the floor and they were just so in their heads that they couldn't. And I just started going, oh, I need to teach a class about this, about walking into the different rooms as the job gets closer. And, you know, from the pre-read with the casting director to the callback for producers to reading for studio executives. I mean, once you walk into that room of, you know, suits, you know, people sitting in suits at the studio and then having to go to the network, you know, it's like, you know, you, and so I really started forming these classes in my head to keep the actor mentally focused and how to, you know, be in your, your bubble of, uh, you know, visualization. I work with a lot of visualization. So I had visualized these classes while I was still casting. And I had started uh, doing some of these and some of the workshops around town and everything. And I really just thought, this is what I want to do with my second act. I want to go in. And so I, that's when I formed Holly Powell Studios. And I uh, started doing classes and I, um, uh, and uh, it was wonderful. It was like, I, it was really, they're really four week workshops or uh, weekend workshops where I would cover those four steps and I would rearrange the room uh, to, to be for just me, the casting director and the rest of the actors would just kind of watch. And then the second week would be callback for producers. And then all the other actors would sit in the class with me and act like they're producers. So they would get things from that perspective. And um, so that's that was that was my second act. Mm-hmm. That that's an incredible second act, and and I say this because I have kids that did go for auditions, and I work you know with the Applauder Kids Foundation, as many have heard on the podcast. Uh, we have kids that come in, and then they're auditioning for things. And my daughter's now a vocal teacher, and all of that, and and she is using some of the things that she's learned from uh, you know going on auditions, yeah. but. She, but what I'm, my point of this is that being the, being in the position you were in, you could impact someone's life so tremendously because it's the difference of them getting the job and not getting the job, which is also the difference of putting food on the table and not putting food on the table. Yeah. So how did it feel to have that impact? And is there any story that comes out or any student that stands out that was just like something that just filled your cup too? Well, um, I'll say that I, uh, at some point, I was writing all these articles and I started at some point realizing I needed to write a book. And that's where the book came in, that it needed, that I needed it. I wrote it as a companion to my uh, audition workshops. And so I wrote it um, from the point of view of teaching a class. And so it's really like a class in a book in a way. And, um, there are, you know, there's so many stories, uh, um, you know, I, 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 from a casting director, when I was a casting director, I just want to talk about Hillary Swank, because she um, really was her, her agent, her manager had called me and said, would you, would you meet with this young actress? And so I did. And from that mer- first meeting, she was so, uh, she was really a partner with the casting director. You know, she was very um, poised. She was she was ambitious, but she was very poised, and she knew who she was 
meeting with. You know, a lot of times in auditions, the things that kind of like, you know, kind of annoy me is that when someone walks in the room, they don't have a clue who you are. So an actor would show up, their agent just told them to show up and uh, they hadn't done their homework as to who they were meeting with. And it's really important that you know who you are meeting with. And so when Hillary Swank would come in, I started calling her in a lot, you know, for, for these, for, for these uh, shows that I was doing. I actually cast her in her very first pilot that, you know, she was doing a pot, you know, excited to do a pilot. So, um, but it's very important for actors to do, you know, to make, to make sure they know who they're reading for. The fact is, is that you knew what you liked and what you wanted to see. And, and this person is partnering with you. And then you can share that story with others as you're teaching, right. I'm assuming about how, you know, how Hillary was able to connect with you. And that's something that you know, even you sharing that now is helping somebody who's a budding actor it listening really, right now. It would help when you when you walk into the room and you're so nervous that you think that the casting director is the gatekeeper. And I know that everybody thinks that about the casting director, but the truth is, is that we really want you to be good. We want you to solve our problem. We want, you know, to get this done. So even though we might look like we're tired and angry because we're have read so many actors, we're so hoping that you come in and be wonderful. So if you can just kind of, you know, know that this is a two-way street, um, it's very helpful. What, what I found, and this is, this is something I want, I want to ask you, because I know as a, as a parent of, of um, actor, actresses and, and, and vocalists, when they go into auditions, a lot of times, the, you know, who they're sitting in front of, they're, they're kind of like emotionless, right? And it's hard because they want to connect with you, but they see that uh, they that you have that guard up, right? Right? You have it's that professionalism. Yeah. Why is it that you think that we can't just be more humanistic and and be more? Is this something taught? Is it something that is just known in the industry to just not have that emotion and share that emotion, or is that just individual? Am I generalizing it's, too much? It's a huge thing that I teach in my classes because when you walk into the audition room and they're all looking at you and you say, hi, how are you? You really need to look at all of them in the eye like you're walking into your living room and greeting people. If you walk in and you're looking down at the floor, it's like, you know, you have to have that one moment, it, even if it's just, hi, how are you, of, of looking at everyone. You don't, you're not gonna chat with them. You don't want, they don't want you to chat with them, but just greeting you and then taking your, time when they say, are, are you ready to start to not get so anxious and think, oh my God, this is going to change my life. That's the problem. They walk in and they go, if I get it, I, it will change my life. And that cannot be what you're thinking of when you need to be thinking of this, where you are in the scene, who you're talking to in the scene, you know, uh, what do you want? Uh, what, you know, visualize your surroundings. That's the job of an actor. And the problem is, is that, that auditioning is a false sense of acting because you're reading with a casting director or a, or a non-actor, you know, and you're not getting back from them what you need. So you have to visualize everything for yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's very important. Now, I just want to say one quick story about, uh, I got a call from an agent uh, and he said that he had an actor who had been working quite a bit um, and he said, he hasn't booked for a year and I don't know why, can you work with him and, and 
see if you can figure something out. And so he walked in the room and, and I had done my research and, and you know, looked at some stuff he'd done. And, and I said, um, what kind of parts do you play? And he said, you know, uh, terrorists, thugs, you know, bad guys. And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I said, do you walk into the room in character? He said, I did until about a year ago when a coach told me to always walk into the room in character. I said, that's why you haven't worked for a year. Because you're walking in the room like you're an asshole and they're afraid of you. <laughs> now, and, that, and that is so well, I'm just you so glad you say it like that. Hi. Yeah, I'm fine. You know, oh, they don't want them on their set. <laughs> they so don't you know that you're in character. Yeah, yes, you have to have that moment, as you say, to walk in and go, hey, this is who I am. You know, hi, how are you? Not, hey, how are you? I don't mean to go over the top, just genuinely, you know, it, it's a huge lesson and it makes the flow be easier for everyone. Right. And, and I think the other piece that we all can learn from too is being present in the moment you're in, not the future. Do I have this role? And if I do, it's going to change my life. Where are your feet are is where your mind needs to that's be. That's exactly right. And that's why when you're in an audition room and you, that chair is there on the front of my book, when you walk in and it's just a chair, but the scene takes place uh, in an office or your living room. I always talk about visualization. You really have to visualize as you're sitting in the chair where you are, because in your mind's eye, you have to, to place yourself in the present moment of where you are. So I work with a lot of visualization when you're in that uncomfortable audition room with all these people looking at you. Yeah, so so it's, it is a lot of mental um, focus. I often talk about it as the mental focus of an athlete. You know, when the pitcher steps on the mound, um, and all the crowd is going crazy. You know, the pitcher doesn't hear them. He's focused on, on three things. He's focused on, you know, the, the catcher's mitt, you know, the, the, the bat and, and the, 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 the ball itself. You know, it's like those three things. That's what he's focused on. And so the actor has to be focused when they, you know, after you say, hi, how are you? I always say, take your five seconds just five seconds to go in to the present moment, you know, and, 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 it, 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 and then you're ready to go. So. And that can work for anything, right? If, if there's a business person listening right now who has to do a presentation. Uh, I actually, um, a lot of people who've read the book talk about that I should do a, um, a section or another book on that this is great for CEOs, anyone doing a, a walking on stage, doing a presentation, you know, a, a president of the board running a meeting, going in for an interview, you know, when you're in the lobby waiting for an interview of someone on the other side of the floor, if, even if it's a Bank of, of America, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, it's the same process. So it really does work for everything. Without a doubt. And I've, I've been, really on this journey myself, visualization, manifestation, all of those kinds of things are just so important and being present. So those right. are just, so for, and it doesn't matter what your field is, all of those things matter and count and change your life. They really, they really do. It really does, yeah. Ham 10 is a leader in IT enterprise solutions and staffing. They are driven to transform their clients' business performances. 
They do this every day by providing the clients with the best services and products. Products like BizLego, an online community platform, and Colier, a unique learning management system. They also transform the lives of women and children through their associated nonprofits, SheTech, which supports women in and joining the technology field, and Softkin, support organization for kids in need. PAM10, technology for social good. Go to pam10.com for more information. What I wanted to ask you is, is it advice? I know you've already shared some, but is there any other advice for that budding, you know, some parents may be listening who have, you know, someone heading off to college or just starting college and they're going into acting or they're going in, you know, they're, they're end of um, the road. They want to be a casting director. Any word of advice before we move on to talk a little bit more about the book you wrote for your, in honor of your mom and her recipes? Uh, it's, are you asking about uh, if they're in a, uh, want to be a casting director or an actor? Either one, both of them kind of, you know, what any advice for those who are going to get started out there uh, as they get their feet wet? I, I think that the first thing that you, you need to do, oddly enough, when you move out of college, you have to do some basic things like find a place to live and, you know, okay. and how are you going to bring in money and, and, you know, those kind of basic things. Actors come into town and they go, how do I get an agent? I've got to get an agent. I've got to get an agent. And I'm like, no, you don't. You have to find um, a place to live. You have to get in class. Well, I just went to college for four years. I don't need class. And I'm like, yeah, you actually do. Because maybe you've been in a theater class and you actually need an on-camera class. You know, maybe you need, you know, something. Maybe you actually need to go study in New York with the very best acting teacher around, you know, and by the way, in acting classes, you meet people, you're, you're networking, and you're getting yourself, you know, uh, out there. Most people come into LA or New York, and they just think I have to get an agent, and I have to do this, and it, you have to get out there and find your community, and that really is the same advice, really, for a casting director. You have to find your community. You have to do your homework, and see who, what casting directors are in town in LA. And then you have to do your homework is what are they casting? And do you want to work in their office? Do you want to say, I'll be a free intern in your office? But it, 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 can't, it can't just be any office. It has to be, you have to like um, target, oh, I want to be a, I want to get into film. I want to get into television. I want to get into commercials. Very you know, different. So doing your homework, about who is in the town is the first step. So you're knowledgeable if you go to a party and you meet an agent or you meet a casting director, you'll know that name. And then you can get into a conversation with them. And that's really how it happens in life. You have to educate yourself. Yeah, some of it's right place, right time, but a lot of it is about connecting. And that's in life in every which way is making sure that you have those connections. You just never know who knows someone. You never know. And then you can just get into a conversation with them. Of, yes, yes, I, I, I know who you are. You know, I, of course, I recognize your name. Otherwise, they would be just like, oh, who, what, who are you? It's like, then it's like, well, they're not serious. Right. They haven't done their homework. They haven't studied. <laughs> exactly. So that's great advice. And I, I appreciate that so much for sharing uh, for those newbies out there who are just trying to get into the field and they're passionate about it. But then you went from that to writing a beautiful cookbook during the pandemic. 
with your mother's recipes. Just so beautiful. I I have to make some of them because I've I've highlighted some of the ones that I want to make. And (laughs) I've showed my mom. And and it's absolutely beautiful book with with some stories and information. So share with us a little bit why. What what made you do this? What really made me do this is that um, mom turned 90. And she had always wanted to write a cookbook. And I was like, oh my gosh, this can't happen that she's going to die and never write her cookbook. And so um, that was during a time, not during the pandemic, this was about five years before the pandemic. And so I, as a surprise for her 90th birthday, I went online and found this little cooking, you know, this little cookbook format. And um, I was a crazy person for months and months and months because mom's all of her recipes and her calendars with her menus were stored in boxes. So I got the boxes and started going through everything and I couldn't read her handwriting and it was like panicking and it was like, but I, I got this little version together for her 90th birthday and we surprised her, um, and we got, you know, my sisters and her, her, grand, her, her, her grandkids and her great grandkids. And it was just really a lot of fun. And then as she, re- she started reading it, she was like, well, this recipe isn't right. And this isn't what I wanted to do. And I was like, mom, I just, you know, and so then she was like, but I think we have something here. And so then for her 95th birthday, my, uh, my niece started helping me at that point. Cause I was like, I'm writing my own book. You know, you have to help me. And so she really would go sit with mother and, and just say, now, when did, when did you use this recipe? What was going on in the world? And they really got into this wonderful conversation about what was going on in her life, what was going on in the world. And so we did the second edition for her 95th birthday. Um, and we had a little book signing for her at her uh, assisted living home where she was living. And, and, and um, I'm just so glad we did because she passed uh, a few months later. And uh, so during the pandemic, I just kept going, there's something, we really got something here. And I started as lockdown happened. And we all the you know we didn't want to go to the grocery store and we were cooking in the in the house and we were cooking all of the meals and we were grabbing what was on the shelf and what was in the refrigerator and trying to decide. I thought, oh my God, this is Mavis's philosophy because she grew up in the Great Depression um, with her when her mother, her Pearly, uh, had um, what they called a marked house, and the marked house was when the hobos came through town at the time hobos, we had jumping trains looking for work because it was the Great Depression and nobody had work. And so um, the hobos formed a a pictorial code that they would mark houses uh, of where you could find something to eat and various things. And my my grandmother, Pearlie, would have um, huge pots of soups and stews always on the stove. And the hobos would come to the back of the house with a screen door and uh, they would take, they had a little bench out under a tree and they would take out the food to them. And so it was so inspiring to my mother. That's how she grew up was her. And of course, in the Great Depression, they didn't have much. I mean, if you found carrots and, you know, vegetables, it was big, you know, meat wasn't around very much, but, you know, she would make the 
stews she would find it and so it was just very very inspiring and I thought oh my gosh this is what is we're going through right now in the lockdown is we're having to look and see what's in our refrigerator what's in our freezer what's on our shelf and pull it all together and we didn't want to go to the grocery store very much and so we were lacking in things and so um, I my niece and I just started putting together we need to rewrite a third version of bringing in what's going on in the world now to um, to the Great Depression. And so I call the book um, part memoir, part history and part cookbook. <laughs> I, I just love it. And, and I love too, it's, it's, you have her name at the bottom. Yes, Sweet Mavis, because they were her recipes. They were her recipes. And, um, and, and she, she's funny, I, I, with the chicken soup, I tried to put in the way I make chicken soup now. And she was like, not having it. She was like, (laughs) you take that out. That's not how I make chicken soup. So, so we give her full credit for, but of course she was getting very old. And um, my niece uh, actually did sit down and go through boxes. My sister, Nancy, went through boxes of pictures. So it really became a family effort of, you know, everybody sending each other pictures so we could include those um, in watching it's, 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 it's our lives. You, you, you probably know more about me than I do when you read this book, it's our family, it's history, it's cooking, it's all together. I'm very proud of it. It's so beautiful what you created and that she got to see that and your niece and your sister. I mean, that's just so it's, everything is about bringing people together in this book and you brought the family together and now you're going to help bring other families together by people making these recipes and cooking them for someone. And I get, I get um, uh, calls all the time. I'll give them to, I give away a lot to my friends and to, then they'll say, would you send one to my daughter? My daughter just won't let go of the book. And then I'll get these <laughs> thank you notes from the daughters saying, oh my gosh, I made cinnamon sticks and I'm so excited. And so it's been a really wonderful um, uh, generational thing. And my son, Ryan, who is 28, um, it's it's fascinating because at, at first he was like, well, I don't think my generation's gonna have any interest in this book. This is all, this is all May May. He called her May May. This is all May May May's generation. And I'm like, well, that's why once we got into the pandemic, it kind of became something different. And so I'm having that younger generation really go, oh my gosh, I, I can, I can make a casserole out of something that I just have pasta and I have a little chicken and I have some vegetables and voila. <laughs> Exactly. And my, and my daughter loves cookbooks, right? She's 24 and she just loves being able to, to go and, and make a recipe that she doesn't have to do a tremendous amount. I mean, she loves being creative, yeah, something but easy. also something easy is never bad when you're working and going to school at the same time. It's never a bad thing. One of mom's biggest philosophies is that Sunday, uh, she called it Sunday dinner, but it was at noon on Sundays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was always cooking for the week by making a big roast or a big turkey or a big chicken or a big ham or something. And so all week she would take, you know, make a beef, beef vegetable soup or a chicken soup or, you know, chicken tetrazzini or, you know, all of a sudden, and she would, she would would make the theme that week based on what she cooked on Sunday for the week. 
that, that's awesome. And, and everybody, you can get the book at mavis-kitchen.com. So please, please take take it's a look at the on Amazon as well. Good. And Amazon as well, as most books are now. So yes, please go to Amazon and we'll have all that information also in the um on the YouTube channel where you'll be able to see it. So now your third act. Now we're back. We're come full circle. Now your third <laughs> act of of giving back and yeah. working with nonprofits. So talk to us a little bit about that and both the nonprofits you're working for. And I, I've interviewed Catherine and She Angels just gave the Zach G. Applauder Kids Foundation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A $5,000 grant to help the girls in our programming. We are honored and grateful. So thank you for that, Holly. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really, um, it's just inspiring to do this. Um, as you know, from interviewing Catherine, um, she co-founded this with another Catherine, Catherine Gray. And um, she was just, you know, talking about it to her friends. And I said, I want to be involved, you know, just make sure you involve me. And that's really kind of how I got into it. Um, and, you know, Kat's kind of like a, a miracle person in the way she can, you know, whip things into reality. And, uh, and, and she did. And, um, you know, in the first year, um, we gave, uh, you know, 10 grants the second year we gave 10 grants. So we've given like, I think we're at our 21st at this point. And, um, so can you imagine 21 female run female founded organizations that are nonprofits that have programs or mentoring for women and girls. And, um, uh, it's really, and we started in the pandemic in June of 2020. And so that was amazing that, you know, it was so many people needed it at that point, of course, because everything had shut down and we were just exploring Zoom. We, we didn't even really know how big it was going to become. And mm -hmm. uh, so we've given, it, we, I think one of the first ones we gave were to uh, uh, in, uh, formerly incarcerated women who came out and didn't know what they were gonna do. And it's called the People's Pottery Project. And they uh, teach them how to make pottery and you know, plates and bowls and everything, and then they can sell them. And so it's like, they, 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 it's just a wonderful organization. And then uh, women in the military, when they got out of the military, they didn't really know what direction they wanted to, to go on. And so um, they had programs for, you know, and these are all free, you know, this is what's one, so wonderful to the, to, the, uh, to the women or girls, it's free. And then you as the nonprofit, you know, get the money to give to them as you do with Applaud Our Kids. So um, it's just very inspiring. We've had everything from um, Wings World Way who are scientists, you know, female scientists and explorers who go out into the field. And it's just, and then, you know, with, with, we, we had just been saying to ourselves that we wanted to get uh, more into the, the dance and the voice and the singing, let's do that. And then Catherine met you and then you told us about your your other venture, and mm -hmm. uh, and and believe me, it went through the process. We have a lot of friends who will I go. Know. Here's this. Here's this. Here's this. And you know, there are all kinds of reasons why someone is not eligible. Um, and it's 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 not because they're not worthy of their uh, you know of, of our money, but a, a, some of it becomes like autism, which you know I'm 
is my next thing I'll talk about. I'm very interested. Yes. But a lot of the autistic communities, I was head of the grant committee and I got a lot of uh, submissions from autistic, but they, they were young men and women, you know? Yeah. And it, as much as you want to give to that organization, our uh, She Angel's goal is to support women and girls because it's a critical unmet need. You know, yes. the, 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 the organizations that have both are getting the money, more of the money. And so, you know, that's why we are a, a member uh, funded organization. We don't have fundraisers. It's literally every member, um, uh, the, the minimum is $500 to be a member. And then you, you, you go up from there. And uh, so it's, our funds come from the members. I love that whole way of doing things because everybody is, has their buy-in in and they yeah. know that they're, it's not just, okay, we're going to have a board and, or an advisory or what, whatnot. It's, it's a paid membership and your dollars matter. They yeah. go somewhere. They're not yeah. paying somebody else. They're going somewhere. Yeah. So yeah. you feel like you're part of something that's making a major difference within different communities. And everyone's volunteer. So we're not paying for space or, or salaries or it's all goes to where it's supposed to go. So beautiful. Quick question. How did you meet Catherine? Well, uh, I met Catherine in writing class um, about 10 years ago. Um, uh, I was doing, I was doing, I had an organization with some other people called Master Talent Teachers and uh, we would do videos. And I, um, uh, one of our friends came in uh, as the writing uh, teacher, and that was Minda Burr. And Minda Burr um, is, you know, just a very fun, fabulous woman. And she um, started, she had writing classes. And I was like, you know, I think I need a writing class to finish that book. I had been thinking about that book, the Audition Bible forever. But I needed to get in a class where I was um, held accountable every week. Of getting something written. And so I joined her class and Catherine was in it. Catherine actually held, we held the writing classes out in uh, Catherine's back guest house. And so that became our writing haven. And so that's where I met Catherine. How wonderful. And I, I understand that because I'm writing a book. I've been writing one for a while and I need that accountability. So I totally understand what, the, what you're talking about, about having, I need to find one of those circles so that I can have yeah. that. Um, Let's talk about Beyond Ranch because you just recently shared their mission with me. I'm totally touched by it. I hope to have their founder on the on the podcast as well. Tell, tell us about Beyond Ranch and what you're doing with them. Um, Beyond Ranch Foundation um, is a story about Tamara Mark and her children. And I met Tamara Mark. Well, I re-met Tamara Mark uh, in writing class. Same Same night. We were, we all showed up the same night. Catherine had taken it a few years as, as well, but Tamara and I showed up the same night. Tamara was an incredible actress and she was, uh, you know, started on Broadway in uh, Chorus Line and On Your Toes. She was a Bob Bossy person. She um, uh, helped Prince, all these people. Anyway, she reminded me when I met her in writing class, she said, you know, do you remember me? I used to, you used to bring me in all the time. And I did, I used to bring her in all the time 
um, when I was casting television with my partner, Randy Stone, and we always loved calling Tamara in because number one, she was beautiful. And she was one of those people who walked in the room like, hi, you know, it was just like, she was always smiling. She was comfortable. She'd always do a great reading and we just loved her. And I was like, oh my God. And by the way, PS, when she did the, uh, she did a Sydney Poitier film called Fast Forward. She was the star of that. And she went, um, you know, your mother-in-law was my agent during that time in New York. And your husband, not my husband at the time, did my deal for um, the Sydney Poitier film. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, it was just so crazy. There were just so many connections immediately. Well, I started learning from Tamara that um, she did kind of disappear from the acting scene and I didn't know, but she has two nonverbal autistic boys and they're now 22 and 20, I believe, Ian and Harry. And so can you imagine for 22 years, um, she had to stop her career and uh, figure out what to do with these boys. And, it, it, you know, it's been a mission for so long to try to find a place, you know, for them. They were in the public school system for a while in Pasadena, but at some point the, the school system, you know, w- once you graduate, that's at, they're out. And then there's just there's nowhere to go. And at some point, like years ago, I was having this conversation with Tamara when she was going through a really hard time. And I said, so what's gonna happen when you die? I mean, I just said that to her and she was like, well, I've been thinking about that. What happens? Well, really for these boys who are very severely autistic and nonverbal, a lot, any homes that are out there won't take them. You know, a lot of those homes are built for the real functioning autistic. Uh, you know, they, certainly they can speak and they can do a job. You know, they're different spectrums. Yeah. And so uh, what she found is that they're, they're, they would just put them, you know, in an institution and, and drug them, you know? And, and so that became way back, that seed was planted many years ago that we were like, we have to do this, but we also have to make a documentary of your life because we need this on camera, you know? And it just was like, we had been looking and one, one person came in and ended up not being right person, but just as these things happened, someone introduced um, Thiago, the adult is the uh, filmmaker, introduced uh, Tamara and her family. And initially Thiago was only gonna film them uh, for Thanksgiving dinner and to see how Thanksgiving dinner went. And it was just heartbreaking scene where Tamara, and I've been to that house many times and spent the night on the couch many times. So I know the boys well, but she'd been trying to make this turkey and trying to make this thing. And she was kind of dressed for the day and the boys were coming in and out and having everything and just, you know, and at the end of the day, she's sitting by herself late at night eating the turkey. And it was just kind of like, oh my God, it inspired Tiago to say, oh no, we have to do an entire film about you and your family. 
And so for about the last year, he spent a lot of time in the house sleeping on that couch. So he would get real moments of when the boys just have, you know, they have their moments. They have their wonderful moments too. But it's so frustrating to be locked in that body where you can't speak and you have so many emotions. And it's like Harry, for instance, no one can figure it out, but he was just in so much pain. He was, you know, banging the walls and doing this. And then they finally realized it was his teeth, you know, mm-hmm. but he couldn't tell her. And so, you know, they just to get him to the dentist, you know, it took four people. It took making sure he was, you know, giving him a pill to relax where they could get him in the car and then in the dentist chair. It's just like just the littlest things. So um, we are really inspired. Catherine uh, Curry Williams was initially involved where we were like, we have to find a place. We have to build a place. And so we took field trips to find land. We went up to Napa because there was a, there was a, a facility up there, which was wonderful. Only 16 adult, uh, adults with autism. Um, but they all had very wealthy parents and they contributed each a million dollars. And then this is what they have. And so our thing was becoming, well, we're not wealthy. We can't do this, but this is a critical unmet need of so many parents and ch- autistic children who they're all, we're all getting older and yeah. what's going to happen to them. And so our goal is to build affordable housing and have, and have uh, uh, programs. Also, we want to train the caregivers because during the pandemic, it became really horrible because a lot of people were getting COVID and couldn't show up to the few programs that do uh, provide caregivers. And with, with Tamara, you need two people uh, every, every hour of every day you know, yeah. one for each boy, because the, they go different places, you know. So a lot of these programs who provide these services, you know, people were getting sick and everything. And so during the pandemic, it became a really critical unmet need. And Tamara just, you know, became just exhausted. And so that's when we really went, we have to find a place. And now with the film coming out, we're like, this is what we're going to do. And so we've Form the foundation. We um, wow. we we're we're a five hundred one c three nonprofit, and so we're just getting. We we formed the board. I'm on the board, and we've we've got our, our advisory committee together, and um, we're just we're just ready to go, and we're very excited that we we are going to, you know, we want land, we want to build. We know that we want places for, and not only for them to sleep and and eat, but we want um, rooms for them to have uh, art uh, classes or, you know, singing classes or music, yeah, you know, to have, we bought horses, you know, we just, we're dreaming big, we're dreaming big. And so we really want this story out there. and I really, we vis- we're visualizing it. And so it must come. That's right. I'm visualizing it with you. It's incredibly important that the story be told. And there are too many parents and that are dealing with this. And it's, 
it the caregivers right you don't you don't understand it's a 24/7 role it's giving 100% of yourself and there is no break there's very limited breaks oh break i mean i i was i was uh, on zoom with tomorrow last night about the website i'm creating the website with paul salamon my publisher actually i've gotten him involved in this too but um she was exhausted and she was just like she said i haven't slept I did, they just had a really bad night and the paperwork you know that they have to do to try to get the services to try to get it's just overwhelming and um and she's been doing this alone for a long time um the 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 husband left the family they're divorced um but miraculously this wonderful man that she knew in high school and um they reconnected he was in australia um they reconnected on facebook after his wife passed and it's just a real love story he came over from australia after the pandemic he couldn't get out of australia he came over and um the boys love him he loves the boys and he's just fully committed and and here they are now she has help um she manifested that because you know she was like she basically said i can't do this anymore without help because she i was i was really worried that she was going to end up in the hospital and then yeah so it's a critical unmet need and and they're not the only ones it's really across the board that we need to oh. find instead of the wealthy parents who can afford to to do all of this we really have to build affordable housing absolutely absolutely we had i had special strides on that works with uh, children on the spectrum with horses you know i've i've worked i've had bancroft um which is an organization that works with uh, children with neurological and and um, you know children that are um nonverbal or somewhere on the spectrum and they yes. house them as well. So there's lots of different things through Changemakers because yeah. Changemakers is is not just a podcast, it's a movement and it's a it's a connective way of helping people. So I hope that maybe some of the connections oh, that I have can I, help as well. I think so Jody, I really do. When I I showed you the uh, trailer from the from the film oh. which is just, it's it's ju just if you see that the trailer um it's incredible, but we are going to have the a, a private, our first private screening on this Sunday, and um, with an invited audience. And so many people wanted to come. They've had to get a second theater, so it's really, it's really wonderful. So we just hope it's going to, you know, flow. Yeah. And if we can have that on the East Coast, I will help in any way I, I, I can, as I told you that. And I hope Tamara could be. It's Tamara, right? That's how you pronounce Tamara. her name. Tamara. Tamara. Like Tamara. <laughs> Tamara can can come on the show and share their story. Um, maybe you could join her as well. Again, I would love that. It would be always nice. Last night, she said she would love to. She's they're just trying. To, I said, you know, she knows. She knows. Tomorrow, <laughs> you figure it. Out. Whenever, whenever she's ready. Um, but but I just want to thank you. You have the kindest heart. You are just are doing incredible things. All of your acts so important and giving back in in ways in which you may not even realize the impact until until somebody says something that there's impact but you have had incredible impact i'm i'm grateful to know you so thank you for all you do thank you thank you
Before we go, you have you have an award behind you that I know people who are watching the YouTube channel are going to be looking at. So I just wanted to see if you'd show it to everyone. My Emmy Award for the incident. There she is. She's pretty heavy. She looks it. <laughs> a good weapon, you know. <laughs> Never want you to have to do that. Use that as that. Hopefully it just sits there and looks pretty. <laughs> Well, Holly, keep, you know, we, you know, we are going to stay in touch and, and, and hopefully have you at our international forum and people get to meet you uh, via Zoom because it's, you know, it's from people from right. all over the world. And um, my last question, what is the footprint you're creating right now that you want to leave behind? It's helping people and healing people. I mean, I, I really, the healing aspect is healing myself as well and healing other people and even through my writing i am writing uh, a book uh it's a, i call it a, a memoir self-help book and um it's healing and will be helpful and i now that you know with the with she angels and beyond ranch foundation it really is just that amazing inside feeling of how warm and fuzzy you get when you know you've helped someone and also it gives so much to you, heals you. And uh, so I, that's, that's my footprint. It's a beautiful footprint and, and I know it well. It just comes to a point where that feeling of when you're giving, the, it fills your cup so much and lights you up, right? It does, it does. And what's interesting is that you don't dwell on it, you just keep on doing it you keep on keep on because it does yeah. good yeah yeah i know it well because it also keeps me up at night on how i could keep going and doing more and more and more absolutely absolutely you know it's a very different thing when i decided it was time to leave casting i was tired it i was done and it wasn't that i i was done helping actors because i went into teaching but it's like so you have those different uh, acts in your life. When you do leave behind things, you do think, I mean, people will go, well, why aren't you casting? Surely you're going to want to put casting. I'm, I'm like, oh my God, I would never do that pressure on myself again. I, I'm, I'm too old. You know, <laughs> I don't have the energy <laughs> for that. But so it really, as you get older, you start to really realize the energy and passion that you have to, to put into something. And I'm old enough now that I only want to put my passion into something that makes me feel good too. And I'm really on this mission to teach people that, that you, no matter what age you are at, you don't have to stay miserable. My, just because you have to make money doesn't mean you have to make it and be miserable. You can exactly. make it and be happy. Exactly. That's right. That's right. I certainly don't make as much money as I did as a casting director, <laughs> but oh, well. <laughs> I'm like you. I worked for national nonprofits and they were boot camps for me. They taught me everything that I needed to know that I, and back then I didn't know I was going to start a nonprofit, you know, yeah. with my sister. I had no idea. And I, you know what? It was very good living. Believe it or not, when you're working for national nonprofits, working in your own nonprofit sure. organization, very different living. But the passion and the feeling um, and the fulfillment, you just can't, it can't, it's it's immeasurable. It's just, it's priceless. Really true. Well, congratulations to you on all you do too, Jody. Thank you. Well, thank you. No, I thank you. Thank you for being a guest, giving of your time, your heart, and sharing your story today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.
So I'm going to say what I say at the end of every single podcast. First, I'll say thank you again to Holly Powell. But I just want to say to everybody, today is the day. You cannot go back to yesterday and you do not yet own tomorrow. So what small or large step are you going to take today to get yourself closer to your goals? Have a great week, everyone. And thanks again to Holly Powell. Bye. Bye.